This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Over the past two weeks, we've been talking a lot about safety in nursing homes following the case of James Acker, who was attacked and savagely beaten by another resident with dementia. Today, we follow up on the other side of that. How are residents protected from bad staff. Elizabeth Wetlaufer, the nurse facing eight first-degree murder charges in the deaths of nursing home residents in Woodstock and London, is back in court today. And there's disturbing information that indicates some of those alleged murders could have been prevented. We've learned that she was fired from the Carasent Care Home in 2014 for a medication error, only to get a new job in London where she allegedly killed another resident. That firing was reported to the College of Nurses, the self-regulating body, and they told the home that they may investigate further and take further action, but all of that remained under wraps. Now, isn't it in the public interest to know Shouldn't other homes have known if there was a problem? What do you think? We have the numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And right now I'm with Kathy Gap, the CEO of the Ontario Association of Nonprofit Homes and Services for Seniors. She's here in studio. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Well, does this surprise you to learn that Elizabeth Wetlaufer was fired and um, nobody found out about it? I guess it disappoints more than surprises because there is a system in place and we depend on that system to regulate and to discipline healthcare professionals uh, and that's the College of Nurses. Uh-huh. Um, I've seen similar things with the College of Physicians. These are self-regulating bodies. And um, a lot of people say that often they're more inclined to protect their own than to protect the public. I think that's probably true. I mean, that's what happens with self-regulated professions. I mean, they're far too often they're going to lean to the board, the side of the the professional, the off- in this case, the offender, rather than protect the general public. Now, in terms of these medication errors. According to Jane Medes, who is with the Center for Advocacy for the Elderly, Jane says that actually um, medication errors are very common, but it's very rare for a nurse to be fired for this. So just that fact would have indicated that either it was a very, very, very serious error or it was the latest in a long line of errors. So let's let's be fair, first of all. The, the healthcare professionals that work in long-term care are the angels of the system. You don't go into that profession and that so- part of the sector unless you're really committed. So this is a rarity in many ways, but yes, the fact that it she was dismissed for that um, would speak to the fact that there's a, a number of things involved in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, would you agree 
with Jane's assessment that that medication errors, actual errors, and not, nothing deliberate, are common. Um, I, you know, I don't want to be. I, I don't want to be unfair. I think "common" is probably too easy a word to use. I think um, they probably happen more than they should, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's common. Mm. Okay, um, so what do we have to do to prevent that? I've I've been at Humber River, which is a totally digital, state of the art hospital, and um, in that hospital, the medication is doled out by robots, and everything is barcoded. And before anybody gets anything, you know, there's a barcode on the medication, the barcode on the on the patient's ID. Uh, is that? I mean. Is, is that a solution? It is a solution. The long-term care sector itself is the last one to be thought of to be brought into the 20th century, let alone the 21st century as far as technology goes. As it stands right now, long-term care medications come in blister packs, so they are individually uh, dispensed through the pharmacy, But it, so the errors come with the humans attached. So Technology, um, mechanization, modernization would be a, a, a great advancement for the long-term sector. Okay. Uh, so where would an error occur? I mean, the, the pharmacists dole out these blister packs. Uh, so would they come with the way they're actually given or what? They, they come individually. So if, if, for example, you are on a, a routine of medications for Parkinson's, which can be multiple, multiple medications a day, each one comes, uh, each dose comes in a separate pack. And the, the nurse, the medications nurse is to sign them out and dole them out one by one to each individual. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's a big complicated factor. I'm sure that most residents in nursing homes are on multiple medications. Yes, it's time consuming, it's frustrating, it's difficult when if you're the, especially if you're the only nurse overnight and you've got other things to tend to. Um, there's all sorts of implications for medications in long-term care that is just not being handled in the way that you would expect it to. Mm-hmm. Is this a matter of money? It always is a matter of money, yeah. Um, it, it's a matter of money for staff. It's a matter of money for modernizing the system. So it's always a matter of money. And in terms of, I mean, this case, it, it's it's rare. Um, a lot of people say things like, if it had been children, it would have been caught a lot sooner. Do you believe that ageism comes into play here? Absolutely. There is complete ageism in long-term care. In the, me in the medical profession period, in the medical continuum, there is ageism. So um, that has to be a part of it. People just weren't paying close enough attention. Uh-huh. And what, assuming that, that those people who died, well, they were um, in a nursing home ready to die? Was that the assumption? And, and Yes. And it's such a misconception because there's so much life that goes on in long-term care. There's so much programming. There's so much stimulation. It's not just people laying in bed waiting to die. So, yeah, the assumption from, from, um, from most of the population is that long-term care is just a, a place to go, a place to park your um, older people until they die. But boy, I wish we could change that. Yeah, boy. Um, and again, in terms of the people who staff the nursing home, is that kind of the, the last choice for most people? Is that, is that a place where people who might not be able to get employment elsewhere would go? Is that a problem? 
It's, it's almost an entry into the medical care system rather than the last place to go because it's people you can get trained quickly. You can, there's always jobs available. And most often if you're an immigrant or someone who's not as experienced, you go there first and then you move on to different sectors. And that's part of the problem is that the people that are in that sector, for the most part, they love the sector, they love their residents, but it is not a high-paying profession at all. And even in the same level, nurse practitioners, for example, they don't make the same in a long-term care as they would in a hospital. So they go there, they get some training, they get some experience, and they move on. Mm-hmm. And why don't they get the same pay? That's a good question. I don't have I an mean, answer I mean, nur- nurses are unionized. Yeah, but every long-term care home may have a different union. So it's not that you're unionized in one level right across the board. It's what which union you have in which home and what their negotiation is for that group of, of sector. Okay. And um, this home, Kerrison Home, mm-hmm. that was a for-profit home. Yes. Uh, you represent the not-for-profit homes. And... I've heard you say that there should be no difference from the point of view of the resident who owns the home. But right. but a lot of people would dispute that. Well, dispute it how? I mean, there should we're all regulated to the same degree. We all have the same funding. We all have to obey the same rules. So why should there be any difference? Why should there be any way to tell the difference? Well, there shouldn't be. But there are a lot of people who think that maybe in a for-profit home where there's more of a profit motive, there might be fewer staff, anything like that. I, th- I think that can be a problem. Um, certainly there's money coming out of that home instead of going all investing in uh, the resident, which in a not-for-profit home, all of the resources are vested. But I don't think that you can necessarily point to this issue as being a part of that problem. Okay. Um, this issue is, in, in, in your mind, is this just an anomaly, or is there a lot to be learned here for the whole sector? Oh, there's a tremendous amount to be learned. Um, hopefully we will find out more and more about how she was able to do what she did, what her motivation was, and all of those kind of things, so that we can learn from that, so that we can l- learn... Uh, best practices and how to avoid it, best practices and how to detect it, because I think that there, it appears there may have been some things that were missed. Um, but uh, my hope is that we can learn a great deal from this. The other uh, thing that's come up, the, the allegation is that she was she was hooked on drugs. She was hooked on medications from her cart that she was supposed to be dispensing. Is addiction among staff i mean a lot of them are working overnight is 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 that a is that a significant problem let's put it that way it's not one i've heard of being a significant problem potentially absolutely there's something that we can learn about that as well um just her access to drugs being the only person having a, having access to that drug card overnight yeah, if you're an addict um that is an open door so we there are ne- Definitely things we can learn about that. Okay, uh, let's take a call from uh, Barb in Hamilton. Hello, Barb. Oh, hello, Libby. How are you today? Fine. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm okay. I'm I'm just upset over this issue. I don't know what to say, but uh, there has to be a solution because 
my personal experience, I came one day away from death, and it was from a doctor's decision. And I won't go into the details about that, but yes, an addiction is a problem in nursing homes. I worked where I worked for 35 years, and right from the beginning, now there's been some improvements on this, but a healthcare aide I worked with on night, she would help herself to, med, to the med cart when the RN wasn't on the floor. And, you know, now she ended up uh, leaving, but uh, and no problems were recognized at that time that I know of. But, um, like, there are, so they don't have the same access. Healthcare aides don't have the same access as they used to, to medications. They're locked up. Only the registered staff have that, and they have the key to the cut. So that problem is solved, but we've got to have a solution. I don't think it's all about the money. Um, I think it's you've got to go in there with an attitude that you're not there just to get a paycheck. These are people. They need lives, and this lady is right. Those people in these homes, they can have a good quality of life there. I know that for a fact, but you have to take time not only to talk to the patients, and, but also talk to the families and let the families know you care. Okay. Thanks, Barb, for that. Uh, I see Kathy uh, shaking her head. Nodding her head, not shaking her head. The the residents in long-term care who have families that come in are so lucky because the, the, the families do so much more. Our PSWs don't have enough time with their residents, and that's part of that um, average four hours uh, per resident per day. But the reality also is that, that volunteer caregivers, family, they're getting burnt out as well. So there has to be something in the system that helps alleviate them um, helps helps give them a break as well. I know my mother tended to my father's every need for seven days a week for four years that he was in long term care, and she was burnt out. Yeah, and it's it's uh, it's a huge problem in the sector. Okay, um, we are just about out of time. Kathy, what would you like to leave us with? Because you know the news in the last few weeks, people who have loved ones in care homes are worried now. And I understand that. Um, if I could just emphasize, this is an isolated incident. For the most part, long-term care is healthy, safe living for residents and for staff, and, and we strive every day to make that a reality. Okay. Kathy Gap, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.